0: because that's the, the core of community. It's not about a following on Instagram because people call that community, but I don't think it is. Um, it's really about how you nurture the relationships among the participants in the community. So I think that's that's the biggest lesson, like actually think about how you're being intentional behind those relationships.
1: Hi, I'm Jordan Harding. I grew up watching my dad put on that suit and tie every morning and go out to successfully climb the corporate ladder for 29 years. I thought I wanted to be him but I was wrong. I needed to be me. To do that, I had conversations with incredible people to learn how they figured out their careers and this whole thing called life. I learned how they overcome adversity, how they deal with stress, and how they get up when they've been knocked down. Now, I'm sharing these discussions with you so you can apply these same skills, tools, and methods to your own life. Welcome to It's Not A Straight Line. Today on the podcast, we're with Alexis Dean. Alexis is the founder and steward of the Dovetail Community, where she curates experiences for women entrepreneurs, as well as building a very, very special community for them. She's a facilitator, an entrepreneur, a connector, and an all-around great person who's been through a lot and traveled to so many countries Alexis, thanks for being here and welcome to It's Not a Straight Line.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. It's so nice to see your face again.
1: Alexis, when you look back now on kind of your, maybe your time in university, I think you did education to become a a teacher. What potential did you kind of see in yourself at that time?
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I became a teacher by default. (laughs) To be honest, I came from a family with a bunch of teachers. My mom was a teacher for 41 years um and i was great with kids i grew up in summer camping and i knew that i could do it um but i kind of always knew i didn't want to do that forever and so i think in university i was still in a period of like experimenting with my life and and uh, i think i saw the potential to like teach for a few years and like get into education because I knew I could do it and I would be good at it and it would be maybe a way to travel and so I think that was the potential I saw was you know the idea that I could um, explore the world and do something that I was good at and then find what I really wanted to do along the way so I never really had like a set like I'm gonna be a teacher for 41 years like my mom or my aunts or anything like that.
1: Did you know at that time that, you know, having that teaching training would then potentially help you become a facilitator or even steward the amazing community you have now?
0: No, I had no idea. (laughs) I think I always had the entrepreneurial bug. And if you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, you probably hear that, you know, at different points in their life, like there were early signs of entrepreneurship. And for me, I think it was like a like I was doing these things, but I never saw it as being entrepreneurial. And so like, even from a really young age, I remember like making bracelets and selling them on the beach in Florida and then getting other kids to make the bracelets. And then my friend and I would sell them. And, you know, there was there was early signs of entrepreneurship there. And then throughout my life, there were different things that I did, that I set goals around, that I like built almost like mini businesses around. I was handing out flyers in the neighborhood and, you know, like trying to make a buck here and there and trying to get things going and get other kids working. And so there were signs like, Bad, but I think like in university, I didn't really know any woman entrepreneurs and I just didn't see that as the path. So yeah, I, don't, I didn't what, know what, what was coming.
1: <laughs> and why, why were you trying to like make the money and sell it? Was it, were you driven to just try and create and sell something? Was it you had to make some money at the time?
0: No, I think I always had big goals and big ideas. Um, at first it was, oh my gosh, I can't remember why I wanted to like make money in the, in the first place, but I liked making things and I liked the idea that I could like create something out of nothing. And I liked that I could see something, like see a video or see a movie or whatever and be like, oh, I wanna do this thing. And instead of just asking my mom or dad for something that I could make it happen. I think I always liked that feeling of like being the one who could make something happen. So I. Remember- Remember, remember um, like at one point, I think I was like 13 and I wanted to do an Outward Bound course. I don't know if you've ever heard of Outward Bound. They do like big adventures and, and there was like this 30, 30- two or 40 day course in Northern Ontario. And I was like really wanting to do it. And I decided that I was going to like start up like five hustles to get myself there. (laughs) And of course, my little hustles when I was like 12 or 13 were like babysitting. And like, I thought I could teach a babysitting course. Like, I don't even know what I was doing. I was like making stuff up, just pulling it out of my ear in effort to try to make like the thousands of dollars that it would cost to send me to Outward Bound. But I remember just being so motivated. I got two part time jobs. I had all these little things going. And it was so that I could achieve that and I could make that happen for myself by myself. And I think that's always been kind of the driving force. It's not necessarily to like accumulate a bunch of money, but as I got older, I wanted to travel and it was like, okay, what can I do? What can I build? What can I sell? How can I figure stuff out in order to travel for a year? So when I was 17, I went off and I graduated high school early and I traveled for a whole year and I figured out ways to like work on farms and uh, it's called woofing at the time and you like work in a farm and they give you free combination and then I got like a job at a ski hill and then I was like selling pottery and like just you know weird stuff but always with the idea that I could make this life happen for myself or that I could have this experience that I really wanted versus having a nice accumulation of cash in my bank account.
1: Yeah, knowing you, you've never been the type of person that's totally driven by money. For you, I, I think at least what I learned is it's always like pur- purpose and what energizes you. How did traveling like come into your life, and and when did you start going to all these different countries and having having these jobs? And I don't know if it, I think it was throughout your 20s. Maybe can you talk a little bit about that?
0: For sure. I think we're so influenced by our families and the people that we're surrounded with, whether it's family or friends or, you know, the people that we spend time with are really the ones who have the biggest influence. And that's part of why I do what I do now, because I know that we're just so impacted by those folks. And so for me, like my dad was a lifelong traveler. My parents traveled a lot when I was growing up. I spent time, I was really, really lucky. My dad was um, working in Europe. And so we spent time from a young age in Europe and then traveled in the summers and took vacations as a family. So I was really, really lucky to have that influence. And then that just really stuck with me. This idea that you could travel around the world and have friends in different countries and, and learn things and, um, and being part of a family that did that really made it seem more possible for myself. And so I spent, I'd say like over twelve years uh, through my twenties, mostly in my early thirties, working and living all over the world. And again, it wasn't because I like wanted to accumulate like a lot of wealth or anything. It was just because I wanted to explore and I, I wanted to see things and meet people and learn. And you know, lifelong learning has always been one of my core values. And there are just, I mean, no limit to what you can learn when you're living in, in countries where you get lost every time you walk out your front door, <laughs> or, you know, when you're not even close to being able to speak Mandarin, and you're living in China, and going to rural areas. I mean, there's, yeah, just so many opportunities to figure things out. And as you're learning about the world, of course, you're learning about yourself, too. why I always talk to young people about travel, because it's not just learning about the world, it's learning about you and what you really want and the way that you can impact people.
1: I think that's a message, right? If any young people are listening to this or in university or in your 20s, what would your be advice to them be about <sighs> travel? Or if they're scared of, of going and living somewhere else?
0: Yeah, well, it's a very different time now, too, so I don't blame young people for being a little bit weary, perhaps, Um, but I think there are also a lot of places in the world that are safer than others right now. It's not the best time to be visiting China or Russia, but um, certainly there's lots of other countries in the world and lots of parts of the world that are more open and Um, I think it's just such an incredible opportunity to learn and to experience the world from another perspective. You know, there's so much more beyond what we see every day and what we see around us, where we live and what we see in our media and just the worldviews and the perspectives and just an understanding of humanity is, is so much better when you get to live in it. So I encourage like every young person I know to try to spend some time living in other places not just traveling but also like immersing yourself like if you can go and do a farm stay like go and work on a farm in a rural village somewhere cool in the world or go and do a home stay even though it might not be as cool because you're not gonna party all day you're gonna live with the local family and like get to know their kids and their neighbors and like be part of the community and really experience life from their their home and their worldview.
1: i've heard you speak about it and you speak about these incredible things you did while you were traveling right you I think you said you uh what you were able to surf with pro surfers in Nicaragua and a lot of other places you mentioned I think you jumped out of a plane five times at 10,000 feet over New Zealand what (laughs) were some of those that stood out to you during that time Uh, in your life
0: oh my gosh all of them. I think that was a little bit more of a Yahoo in my young age, but I haven't read, I heard this about this book called like a year of yes or something, and I, I have it on my reading list, but I feel like that was my life. For a long time, if someone suggested, like, hey, do you want to go here? Do you want to try this? Or like I would read about something and be like, Yes, I'm gonna do that. Yes, that sounds awesome. So it was like I was living in this little town in New Zealand, and somebody literally walked in the front door. My friend was working at this little hostel that I had stayed at when I first moved there. So I was hanging it with him and somebody walked in and it was like a little house and he walked in he was like do you guys want to go skydiving and my friend looked and i looked at each other and i was like yeah and he was like we're doing a course it's like you're gonna do five or seven jumps or something and and in this two weekend period and i was like for sure like why not and that was basically like any opportunity like that that came up it was you know do you want to do a stopover on your way to australia In uh, Indonesia and hey there's this crazy jungle thing that this guy is trying to build Do you want to go there yeah let's do that, like it was just. Always saying yes to the the big adventure, the new idea or the thing that scared me. I think that's always been it if i'm a little bit scared by something, then I feel like I want to try it, I want to do it, because I know that it's going to help me grow or learn or evolve or kind of push myself to to see what's possible.
1: So, so definitely, there's no question. You're you're an adventurous person. But I gotta ask, did some of those experiences scare the shit out of you, like jumping oh out of God, a plane, yeah. or were you like, yeah, I I just would love <laughs> to do that?
0: Yeah, so does so many things. I mean, jumping <laughs> out of a plane. There was an accident, the, the woman that went before me, and I will tell you that story, but I have to say like that, there, she had an accident and I, we thought she was dead and they still made me go. That was a little bonkers. I'm not gonna throw the name of the skydiving company out there, but <laughs> not sure I would send my own family to them. Um, but I think like all of these experiences from the skydiving to other things I've done to starting a business to um, putting myself out there and, and calling random really successful women to come together and to dovetail like doing all these things totally scare the crap out of me, but that's why they're so rewarding. And I think it's really easy to like get stuck in comfort. Um, and I think that's why I encourage people to say yes to things that scare them or to try new things or to put themselves in, in uncomfortable situations, whether physically or emotionally uncomfortable. Because I think that that's when we can really, like I said, we can really grow and evolve and and learn new things and have a big Beautiful, crazy life. So, yeah, the skydiving, uh, one of the scarier experiences of my life for sure. Because I, well, I mean, I've had a few situations where like I was actually closer to dying, but this one in particular, um, I had already done a couple of tandem jumps. And so that's like you're from much higher, but you're strapped to an, a pro who's on like basically you're strapped to their front and they're the one responsible for everything. But this was a situation where I was doing my first solo jump and they teach you for like one weekend, they basically teach you how to do the, the skydiving. I don't know how much time we have for this story, but they like walk Go you through, <laughs> they walk you through like how to, how to skydive. And like, I thought they were joking with this explanation of what we were supposed to do. There's like a countdown. It's like step one, you put your right hand out. Step two, you put your left hand out and you put your hands out and you grab on to the strut of the plane. And then step three is you put your right foot out and you put it on top of the wheel cover. And step four is you put your left foot out. And then step five is you fly like Superman. And I was like, you're not the joke, right? You fly like Superman, they want you to like, let your feet up and hang on to the plane. Like you're some kind of crazy daredevil lunatic. But that was how they taught us. (laughs) And then step six is you let go when you're given the signal. Um, And so the girl that went before me or the young woman that went before me, I was only like 17 or something at the time, um, she went out and she somehow got her foot stuck on like step three or step four. And then suddenly she flipped backwards and went flying and like kind of hit the side of the plane. And so all we saw from the inside was this woman go like flying backwards and scream. (laughs) And then the instructor who's standing in the door reaches out like slams his hand down to like release her or something and is his face is like totally freaked out and i'm sitting there like i started hyperventilating i was like i'm going to die she's dead oh my god this is terrible what am i doing <laughs> and i think just like the terror of watching that and then thinking like i'm next i'm like this is clearly a terrible idea this is so unsafe what is this little plane like all of that was yeah absolutely terrifying and i was very lucky to have a pilot and an instructor who were like we're not landing the plane with you in it so you have to go Um, And so I just shut off all of the fear and decided that I was gonna do it. I probably could have like forced them to land with me in it, but I decided to, to just do it. And even though I was absolutely terrified, I think it was one of the more rewarding experiences. I've never been so euphoric in my life and never felt quite that level of trust in the universe or God or something else that had to be protecting me up there because I did not have that same experience as the other woman. And, uh, incidentally, she was minor She had a minor injury, but she was okay. She didn't die. Uh, thankfully. And, uh, we all lived, but yeah, I think putting myself into situations where I was really scared, but I trusted the people around me and I trusted God or the universe, whatever your beliefs are. Um, it, helped me to grow. And it, it made me more able to take risks in areas of my life that have made a huge impact moving forward. So, Yeah,
1: yeah that's what I was going to say. I imagine that those experiences just help you now. It's kind yeah. of interesting how the, the pilot was like, hey, we're not landing with yeah. you in the plane. <laughs> do you take anything from those experiences? How do you apply that to your world when you're scared of doing something in your entrepreneurial career?
0: Yeah, I think I like often need to remind myself of these things. Because um, I think like it's easy to get stuck. I think a lot of people can relate to the feeling of stuckness, of being stuck in your career or stuck in a pattern in your relationship or stuck in, you know, I just do these things every day because this is who I am and this is how I want to be. And I think that coming up against something that scares you or that challenges you or that forces you to actually like bungee jumping, like step off that ledge or like skydiving, like actually put your hands outside the plane or, or even just, you know, jumping off a high rock or like the other weekend, I was at a a family member's cottage and I jumped off the boathouse and I didn't want to do it. It's cold. It's really cold on the lake right now, but just like doing those things that like force you to take this step, help you to stop getting stuck in other areas of your life. So for me, at least, and for people that I work with and talk to a lot, it's just taking those, those steps regularly, um, prevent you from sitting in a place where maybe things aren't going well in your business and you need to take action and move forward, um, or maybe things aren't going well in a relationship or friendship or other area. I think, um that can be a catalyst. So I would say like for me finding something that scares me a little bit or that forces me to take action or overcome a fear can often be the catalyst for me finding a way forward or finding a new solution in business or in life in some area.
1: That's awesome. That's a great way to explain it. So you know one of the reasons Alexis I I started this and wanted to create this platform was You know, you can really look back on a career, and you can kind of connect the dots, right? And you can Mm -hmm. probably do that somewhat with yours, from dovetail community to where it all started. Totally. Um, It's also for me, it's about happiness and purpose, because there's so many people that just walk around every day, and I think they go into their jobs, and it's a it's a struggle for 35 years. And of course, you know, I'm talking about a certain subset of the population, right? Because there's a lot of people that. Uh, you know, have to put food on the table. And, you know, I, I commend everyone who's doing that. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: what about you? You know, you, you have this amazing speech, you did a speaker slam on YouTube that, you know, I watched last night. Um, and I it, it recommend everybody take a look at it. I'll put it in the show notes. But you have this amazing quote about happiness and, and the moments you were waiting to change. Can we can we speak a little bit about that?
0: Totally. Yeah. There was a theme that night that we had to speak on. So the theme was the moment that changed your life uh, or the catalyst for change. And in that talk, um, it's been edited quite a few times. If you watch the goal cast version that has the most views, it's also the one that they made me re-record the ending because they didn't want me talking about my business. Um, unfortunately, 13 million views. I really wish I could have been talking about my business. <laughs> But um I spoke about how it's not about just one moment and I think that a lot of us and for myself included I was looking for a moment when you know that change would happen for me I would suddenly know exactly what I wanted to do with my life or exactly where I wanted to live or I would suddenly like have some kind of epiphany that you know I would be like doing something like swimming with alligators and and that would signify something and I would I would suddenly know like oh I meant to live in Borneo and do something like with my life um and I think that things changed for me when I stopped waiting for that one moment. Um, and that's, you know, something that I talked about in that talk, and then I've talked about since then. And I think, um, since that talk, I've, I've spoken more on the topic of home and finding home in ourselves. And I think that for a long time, I was seeking moments, I was seeking external things to help me feel at home to help me feel like I had found my way or found my place. And eventually, what I found was home wasn't any of those things or any of those places or any of the other people in my life, it was in me and that as soon as I stopped looking for it elsewhere and trying to fill those those gaps in myself with other things that I was able to live happily anywhere and to be happy in the things that I have been doing. And, you know, that's been a long, a long journey, (laughs) Um, but it certainly started with a lot of travel and some of the experiences that I talked about um, in that talk and that talk in particularly, I talked about uh, a 10 day silent meditation retreat that I had done. Um, and a lot of people who are listening have probably heard of Vipassana, which is like you can do a Vipassana retreat in Ontario. Highly re- encourage it and highly recommend it. Um, this was like Vipassana style, but it started with day zero, ends on day 12 or something. Uh, it's a bit different. And I was in a monastery in southern Thailand in the jungle um, with monks, and you sleep on a concrete pad, and there are like tons of insects, and it's like 40 degrees Celsius, and it's a little bit different because it's fasted. You don't know, get like nice food and stuff. Um, And it was hugely transformative in that experience of like looking for a moment, because that too, I think when I went into that experience, I was hoping like, okay, it's going to transform me. I'm going to do this retreat and I'm going to come out and I'll suddenly know like, here's a moment that's going to change my life. And I came out at the end of that retreat, that end of that experience. And I found that there wasn't, you know, some divine entity telling me what to do with my life, but I felt at peace and at home in myself. And it took me a few more years to really figure out what that was. Um, but I think that was the beginning of a catalyst. And yet another experience where I'd never meditated a day in my life before I did that. I was totally scared to go and sit with a bunch of monks and sit there and meditate for like 12 hours a day in the jungle and get eaten by bugs. But I did it and it was maybe the most rewarding or one of the most rewarding things that I've I've pushed myself to do.
1: You kind of, in in a happy, nice way, you kind of blew your last day of silent meditation, didn't you?
0: Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, and it's not like anyone's like, there, I'm just like, kidding, nobody
1: would give you a hard time, time for
0: that, broken it. but, um, there was like a moment with a firefly and, uh, I hadn't seen a firefly in a really long time and my dad had passed a couple of years prior to this and I think part of me looking for home was like trying to find a place where I felt like at peace with all of, all of what had happened in my life and losing him was really impactful. And so there was this final night at the meditation retreat um there was a firefly that like flew up right in front of me and it was super weird because i i didn't even know there were fireflies in thailand and it flew up right in front of me and i stuck my finger out and it landed on my finger and i said dad (laughs) um and that was pretty much the end of the silence for me um and although at the time like in that talk i said it wasn't him i've had a lot of people try to convince me that it was and part of me thinks maybe it was just like that little sign from him. And in the time since then, I felt like, oh, maybe that was a little, a little dad moment. I still haven't seen a firefly since then. And I've certainly never had one land on me, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of killed That's my so silence. Unique. I've, I've <laughs> never
1: had a firefly land on me. That's so unique. No. And, and maybe, it, maybe it was him. So what got you into starting, starting a business and being an entrepreneur? Like you started Dovetail Team Building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to get to what it's become now and, and the incredible community you've built now. But what was that step for you to be like, hey, I'm just going at it on my own and I'm getting out of my own way?
0: Yeah, and I think that's it. You're like, you you—you hit the nail on the head, getting out of my own way, going at it on my own, even if people aren't on board, even if people don't understand, even if people are like, you should go back and be a teacher because that's a stable career. Um, for me, it was the end of that retreat. I came off the, bat, the end of that um, retreat in Thailand. I had been based in Thailand working for a nonprofit there. Uh, And I knew that I couldn't keep doing what I had been doing prior to that and and working the way I'd been working and I knew that I wanted to come back to Canada and I didn't have a job lined up and I didn't want to teach in a regular classroom in Canada, Um, and I happened to have some good connections in the corporate world uh, in Canada and I thought you know I am going to give this a fair shot I'm just going to come home, I am going to put together some programs that I think will sell uh, to some of these corporate groups I'm going to reach out to my contacts. I'm going to get some help so i was really lucky i joined csi the center for social innovation in toronto and i had a great mentor um, who helped me mike bersick still friends and uh helped me kind of just put together like how do you even make a business plan and and how, how do you register a business and i just asked people for help and admitted i had no idea what i was doing and, and i got lucky with that support um and i think the biggest thing was just feeling the conviction that i could do it and that even if it didn't work out perfectly, that I would figure out the next step and I would find my way. And I didn't know, like I had no idea what it was gonna become or where it was gonna go, but I, I had faith in myself that I could give it a fair try and give it a fair shot. And so I did, and that was almost eight years ago. Um, and I spent the first couple of years like, totally lost, you know, started growing the team with bringing in like random friends as facilitators at first and trying to find people who had any experience doing this stuff. And I had, you know, because you ended up doing some consulting and sales for us because I had no idea how to do corporate sales. You know, I'd been a school teacher. so Like what business am I, you know, doing corporate sales? And I just, yeah, surrounded myself with people who knew more than me. And I think that's always been what it's about is, is finding those people that know more than you that you can learn from that want to help you that you can help in some way um, and finding a way to serve them and allow them to help you too because I think that's where people are are so focused on like well I want to help everybody else but it's okay for you to ask for help too Um, so yeah that was that was the beginning and and the evolution has been pretty massive (laughs) since back then but
1: And I I think that that last point you made really does move right into the transition. Well, you know, it's a lot of people I'm sure feel alone as an entrepreneur or they don't feel the need to ask help. Like you just said, I think that's great advice, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing, right. You can ask help. People are willing to help. And if they're not, maybe they're not the right person for you at that time in your life. Right. So, how so you have this team building business, like how were you like, all right, Alexis should be the person to design this, this community and you, you've built kudos to you. Like I've watched what you've done over the last three, four years and you've built an incredible community. So congratulations. And how how did you kind of come up with that and have that kind of spark of this is something I could build?
0: Yeah, I think it's again, like so many entrepreneurs I know and that you probably know and who might be listening to this? I think it's just meeting our own needs is often the best way to start a business. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I had this team building business. I was growing the team. I, we were making more sales. I was looking at like how, you know, how do we better expand across the states and Canada and all these things? And I was like, I need to be around people who know what the heck is up. <laughs> so I started going to entrepreneurial events and going to events with founders, and I found myself. Uh, surrounded by men, which is awesome. I love guys, but I did not know a lot of women. And I would go to uh, like mompreneur kind of events. And I'm not a mom yet. And also I found like a lot of them were like MLMs or multi-level marketing kind of things or smaller businesses. And I was like, where are the ladies that have like teams and, and, you know, want to grow like, and have these big aspirations? like where are they hanging out? Um, and the more events I went to, and the more things I participated in, the more I realized like there wasn't, a woman specific group, like the one that I wanted to be part of. So I put together our first weekend, um, which I wasn't sure what was going to happen with it after this first weekend, but I rented a lodge up north and we ended up having 50 women that signed up within like 48 hours or something. It was crazy. Um, They didn't all put their money down, but they all said they were interested. And I was like, okay, well, if we have that many, we can probably go ahead and run this thing. And so I hosted a winter weekend in Ontario. It was minus 35 Celsius. We had women from like Florida and California who were like, what have I done? Like, this is crazy. It's so cold, but it was a beautiful weekend and an amazing lodge we had like some uh, outdoor adventure activities and then we had some masterminding and roundtables and it was just I think really what a lot of women needed and that was how dovetail started at the end of it they turned to me and said you know what are we doing next and there was a woman that owned a winery and she was like, Oh, we should have like a vineyard weekend. Why don't you come to the winery? So we planned to pop up there. And then another couple of women from New York were like, why don't you come to New York? So we did another weekend there. And then our women on the West Coast were like, we feel like everything's happening on the East Coast. Let's do something out here. So we went and rented a lodge out there and had another 50 woman summit. And um, that was the beginning. And then we had a lot more women interested. Um, but they didn't all have really established businesses yet. And so that's when camp started. So we started uh, what was originally called Camp Dovetail right before COVID, um, the September before COVID started. And we had 150 women come to camp for a long weekend. And that was amazing because it was very similar to our more intimate group, our our members and our summit ladies, but at a larger scale and designed for women at every level of experience. So whatever level of experience they were at, there were workshops for them and there were masterminds designed and curated for them. Um, and that's still where things are today. It's, it's really just evolved from me wanting to surround myself with women who are wildly generous and wildly supportive and um, lifelong learning and, and who want to share and who want to learn and who don't believe that um, there is competition among us who believe that there is space and, and room for all of us to succeed and that there doesn't have to just be one spot at a table for a woman, but every spot can be filled by a woman.
1: <laughs> so. I think what's cool too is I, I think if you still do, you design it as kind of a pitch free environment.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. That's one of our core values and uh, and one of our kind of guiding rules of our community is that we don't pitch. We don't need to. I think when yeah. you build relationships with people and you show up in the spirit of generosity, people end up working together, which is yes. always a goal yes. too, but without feeling like you're just getting like business carded, you know, really, like, we tell people like leave your business cards at home. We're going to have a great program afterwards to connect you and, and, you know, online and offline, there are always ways to connect and we host dinners throughout the year and stuff. So it's not about you know, going there with the sense of like, how many sales can I make? It's going with the spirit of like, how much can I pour into other people? What can I learn from other people? How can I show up and support other women in business and allow them to support me? Yeah, I think I that's
1: great it. because you know every we're all human, right? No one, no one likes those things where you just go and right away. It's like, hey, here's yeah. my business card. If yeah. business cards still exist now, I don't know where Amen. mine are. <laughs> but uh, that's cool. So, is it mainly like the dovetail summit and then camp dovetail? Are those the two? kind yes. of program.
0: So we renamed camp dovetail this year. It's called camp tailwind now, which is still okay. connected to the whole dovetail theme, but a tailwind is a wind or an energy that comes from behind to lift women up. Um, and that is the idea with tailwind. So tailwind is a space where we have women from our summit group and from our membership who are highly established. Some of them have, you know, billion dollar businesses um, or multimillion dollar businesses, and they show up to participate. And they also show up to support and lead workshops and talks. And then we have women from every level of business experience, Um, who show up to share and support one another in peer-to-peer mentorship, uh, and also to participate in roundtables and workshops and talks and all the camp stuff. So it is very different from pretty much any other high-level mastermind type experience, uh, like EO or any of the others where it's very divided and there's a hierarchy where it feels like, oh, I can't, I'm not gonna have an opportunity to talk to this experienced woman because she's gonna be in a VIP room or whatever. Whereas at camp, there isn't the feeling of like, oh, these special people are in the special people area. It's like everyone is special and there's something to learn from everyone. So you might be sitting next to a woman who maybe has made a ton of money in her business, but she's also just there because she wants to learn from other people too and wants to support people just as much. And so it's a really nice environment. And then because there is a need for really established women entrepreneurs to have a space where they can really support each other as well, because they are you know, in rare air, in some cases, there are not a lot of women who have um, scaled to seven and eight figure businesses. And so we have a unique community for them as well, um, where it is just that group. And so we have summit uh, and in the fall, we're reopening our membership for that group. And that is really designed to be something comparable to like there's a YPO or a WPO or the high level EO type groups, but really designed around peer to peer mentorship and support versus, uh, one guru in the room because um, that would not be me, not a guru. <laughs> um, and we do amazing events with them. We do summit, you know, private lodges, islands, uh, retreats, dinners, and online and offline gatherings. And I'm super excited to open that up in the fall and bring together these women again. So that is,
1: well, we'll be sure, great. like if you sh- send me a video or, or the link, I'll yeah. put it in the show notes, but <laughs> I do have a few more questions that I want to ask you kind of about your life and career. Um, sure. But where can people find out more about you and Dovetail? Like, is there a platform you're most active on and then your website, Alexis?
0: Yeah, totally. So we're pretty active on Instagram, although I have heard we should be more active on TikTok. (laughs) So right now on Instagram, you can find me personally. It's at Alexis.Dovetail. Um, or Dovetail Community is the other one. So at Dovetail Community, and that's where you can find information. It'll link back to camp. It links to our summit. Um, and then right now camptailwind.com is our website for our upcoming camp. And weirdly enough, we don't actually have a site active for our membership or our summit, um, just because it has been fairly small and invitational. But in the fall, we should have a public site up for that. But it'll all be on Instagram at dovetail community.
1: So for people out there listening that are interested in building their own communities, I know you've been a part of many and now you've built your own, of course, as we said before, like, you know, it's not all about the money for you, but you definitely have to monetize this to sustain your life and grow. What what are some of the learnings you've learned about growing a community? And I've heard you say things before, like people wanted to plan something else. And at first you're like, oh, they're going to just go do that. But it does seem like you've remained and dovetails remained. Not in a self-centered way at all but you know people come back and and they're attracted to what you're doing
0: oh gosh there are so many opportunities to build cool communities and i love talking to other community leaders and people who want to start communities so if anyone's listening and they're like i've been trying to start this community around whatever it might be i would love to talk One of the women in my community actually has a community, a global community of knitters. She's a a knitting, like, you know, crochet knitting, that kind of thing. Um, And I think it's like the coolest thing. And like, she has all these like professional, semi professional knitting people. And like, she has like a Knit Stars YouTube and she goes traveling around the world and hosting retreats of knitting. I'm like, this is so rad. Like, there is space for community in whatever your passion is, whatever your hobby is. There's space for more entrepreneur communities. There's, you know, there's space for all of us. Um, And I have just learned so much. Much, um, in building this and, and actually forming community and dovetail um, and it's it's not easy and you know, it really wasn't easy during during the thick of covid um, you know all our in-person stuff ended and I'm not like a big tech person um, and I we did run online masterminds and I was on zoom 24 7 during covid like during the the intense parts of covid with our mastermind groups um, but I think that the biggest lesson that I have learned is uh, the intentional curation and the intentional facilitation community doesn't just happen. Like I actually had a friend of mine who's part of our community. She was at a yoga retreat a couple of weeks ago and she was like, I feel so badly for this woman. She brought together all these awesome, awesome women for this yoga retreat, but there's no facilitation and there's no intentionality. There's no guidance. And it's like, she thought she could just kind of put them in a room and that it, it would happen. <laughs> and, you know, I know because I'm lucky enough to come from a facilitation and education background, I, I know you actually have to do more than that. You can't just put people in a room or put them together in a Slack group. And I am I am guilty of not being a good online moderator in that way. But I think it's important. And for anyone who's planning to try to build a community, it's really important to recognize you have to, actually have to facilitate and guide some of the conversation and nurture those relationships and, you know, ask good questions and have them answer them together. And it might feel a little cheesy at first or whatever. But that's actually how people connect and and get outside of themselves and actually learn to support each other, because that's the the core of community. It's not about a following on Instagram because people call that community, but I don't think it is. Um, It's really about how you nurture the relationships among the participants in the community. So I think that's that's the biggest lesson, like actually think about how you're being intentional behind those relationships.
1: That's great. I might might hit you up to talk about communities, and oh, I'd love to. <laughs> as dovetail continues to grow and this grows, we could do this in person next time, and then Woo-hoo! we're not on Zoom. Yay! Um, <laughs> what about like uh, you know, it's not a straight line. You know, you've mentioned I think before not feeling enough at times. Two episodes ago, I spoke with Mark Drager about you know not feeling enough yeah you know he's got a big youtube following now he's got his own podcast and it was amazing just to look at the business he built and think that he woke up every day not feeling enough is there a challenge you went through where you learned something that you can share and is there something you do to help you stay maybe regulate regulate stress pressure mental just physique
0: i think there is like an epidemic of people not feeling like enough and i don't know if it's like related to our social media usage or or what it is um we're all comparing each other all the time and thinking there's a we're not enough there's not enough there's scarcity so there's you know there's not enough space for myself and this other business to exist we're too similar you know um and i think there's a lot of that especially among unfortunately among them but also just among all humans um and personally, I struggle with it too. I, I think um growing up in a society where women are judged based on appearances and on weight and all those things, you know, I was a teenage girl once too and and even through my twenties and my thirties, I struggled with feeling like, oh, I'm not pretty enough to be successful or I'm not thin enough to be whatever or I'm not, uh, like whatever it might be smart enough to manage this or I don't have enough of experience to do XYZ. And I think the biggest change, and it's, I feel like it's almost a cliche at this point, but the thing that has helped me the most is meditation. And it's like coming home to myself in meditation or in silence. And so sometimes I do walking meditation. Like I go for a walk in the forest where I live, or or I'll go and paddle a canoe. We are lucky enough to live on the lake. So I'll go and paddle in the morning at sunrise and just breathe. And... No music, you know, no phone, no whatever. Just just being there with myself and reminding myself that I am enough and that I am home in myself, and that even if whatever I'm doing doesn't totally work out, that there's always another day, there's another opportunity to try, and that I am capable to figure out whatever needs to be figured out. And if I'm not I probably know someone who is because I've been lucky enough to surround myself with amazing humans who are so generous as to jump on a phone call if I if I'm really struggling or I, you know, need help in some area. Um, so I would say A it's it's, you know, the meditation practice and B it's having a community of people that you can turn to that you can say you know, I'm feeling terrible about this, or this thing happened in my relationship, or this thing happened in my business, and I am falling apart. And I just need someone to get on a phone call with me, or I need, you know, someone to say that they've been here before, because um, I think that's another big, huge thing is just to know you're not alone in experiences and whatever you're going through. Somebody else has probably been there at some point, and they're probably willing to help you out with it.
1: How did you develop that home is within myself? I think you mentioned it before, but I'm just curious. Did somebody tell you that is that something you came up with
0: (laughs) i feel like there's probably some message in some song or something like that sure Um, Or I think there's actually more of a message in music that like home is in your partner that you complete me or you whatever. And ironically enough, like I just got engaged and I don't feel like that about my fiance, but I feel like my whole self and he is his whole self. And I think that's really healthy and I want to nurture that for myself. Um, But I think the whole like coming home to myself concept was it started at the end of that meditation retreat. And I think I like slowly over the past few years have started to like really see it when I would have the impulse to want to travel again or leave or escape myself through whatever and i think a lot of entrepreneurs escape themselves through overworking uh through workaholism <laughs> um some people escape themselves through over exercising or over drinking or overeating, or the ways that we kind of try to like find something to fill in this feeling whatever it is and i think that like when i meditated or when i was feeling my best i didn't feel like i needed that because I wasn't looking for something else to, to make me feel that. And I guess like I call it home, but maybe it's different for people. But like, for me feeling like I'm at home is like feeling comfortable and relaxed and totally able to be myself and like take off the masks and, and not show up in any certain way and just be at home. So that's where that came from, but I don't know if that maybe I'm, it's trademark so I don't mean to like rob someone's book if it's in a book then go with that person
1: (laughs) uh, of (laughs) course of course you (laughs) definitely should write a book and you know Alexis congrats on your engagement you just mentioned it and it's so good to hear like you guys are two full people on your own and then together you know it makes makes something magical uh I think I'll finish with you know, do you have an impact or one thing you're thinking about in 2022 that you're really hoping uh, is like a guiding light to it to achieve?
0: We are currently looking for a new um partner organization. We've been supporting Morelands and their girls programs, but I'm really eventually I would love to start a camp for girls and young women to become entrepreneurs, to support them with the concept that they are capable of becoming entrepreneurs and even starting side businesses through university or through college or in young adulthood. Um but that's not quite quite where we are just yet. So I think the thing for me is to continue to grow camp and to grow our uh, our membership community and dovetail and then to continue to use some of that funding to support women's charities and uh, nonprofits for girls and young women and then eventually i'm hopeful within 2023 early 24 i would really love to get involved in actually running a camp um ourselves and having these amazing women that i work with like they over the past two years our women have shown up uh, to volunteer with the girls programs and, um, showing up to mentor and guide and support young women uh, and girls. And I would love to actually have us do that in person. So it's not quite 2022, but That's we're okay. working towards it. And it's, it's definitely a vision that I hold for, um, our community and for myself and to, yeah, hopefully be in That's person good. with all these awesome humans again, so.
1: That's good. And I'll, I'll give a shout out to Alexis's podcast. Think about (laughs) this. Uh, I know you just did a whole series on burnout that uh, was really impactful. You've had some amazing guests on that, Alexis. I hope you continue with that. I think even your first episode, when you speak about starting a podcast, I admittedly have finished the last 20 minutes, but it's really interesting to me, uh, of how you did that and how you're going back and forth with, um, the person you were collaborating with and probably still do so Matthew. think about this is everywhere you listen to podcasts and keep an eye out for alexis and thank you so much for uh for your time
0: thanks so much for having me and uh yeah we'll be jumping back into the recording studio in the fall with think about this and maybe even doing a live episode from camp so
1: that would be amazing so keep an eye out for that thanks alexis
0: thanks so much jordan
1: There you have it. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow along on your favorite podcasting app. And if you have 30 seconds, leave me a rating, share the episode with someone it could impact. And I look forward to being back with you soon on the next episode of It's Not a Straight Line.